we're in uh, part like six or something of this, of this sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And we're even talking about the Holy Spirit on Wednesdays. Because there's a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. And obviously we went through a lot of confusion. We went, went through a lot, of, a lot of different aspects of who the Holy Spirit is and, and what He does in our life, how He operates in our life. And, and so if you want to, you can turn to the book of Ephesians because I'm going to stay only there uh, for this message in the book of Ephesians. I'll start out in our, our key verse there, Ephesians 5.18. But we've been talking about be always being filled. Talking about the Holy Spirit. This, this morning my message is called Sealed and Filled. And you'll understand that as we unpack it a little bit more. But let's just pray together over the Word and just prepare our hearts to receive this morning. Father, we are grateful for Your presence and we are grateful for Your Word. And God, we just ask that this morning You would illuminate our hearts our minds so that we can see the truth of your word, God, and be transformed by it. We ask you, Lord Jesus, to, to take your word, plant it deep in our hearts, Lord God, and do a work in all of us this morning when we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I, I, I've said this from the, from the very beginning, honestly, that I've went through this sermon series. And the Holy Spirit, obviously, if you've heard my testimony and things that I've shared He's essential. He's the most important person in my life because he's the one who teaches me about Jesus. He's the one who reveals Jesus to me. He's the one that gives me the empowerment to be able to understand Scripture, to preach Scripture, and to live a, a holy life before God. By His power alone is how we experience the Christian life. And without the Holy Spirit, we no longer have a Christian life. And when the church is truly filled with the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God is at work in our midst, we are evangelizing the lost as a people, aren't we? We're seeing people get saved. We're seeing people's lives transformed. We're, we're seeing people come to repentance. We're seeing... Uh, people get healed on occasion. We're seeing God move in mighty ways and things are happening. And there's a sense of, of God's presence in our midst whenever we meet when the Holy Spirit says, I don't know about you, but I don't want to just come to church and say, man, that was a really good message and some great songs. I want to have experienced the presence and the power of God in the service. I think that's what we meet. People say all the time, well, you know, Clay, uh, the, church, the church is not a building, it's the people. Well, I'm going to go one step farther. I'm going to say the church is not a building and the church is not, neither the people. The church is the people of God filled with the Spirit of God who come together to meet in the presence of God and are empowered by His Spirit to carry out His mission. It's not just people who call themselves Christians that are the church. It's people filled with the Spirit of God that are the church. The church is equipped by the Spirit of God in order to carry out the mission that Jesus has sent. But I'm telling you, we got to get to a place, I think, in the church, especially in our generation, where there's a desperation. Right now, you can tell the difference between a church that is really relying upon the Holy Spirit and not because so many of, the, of churches at large, especially in America, are succumbing to culture and don't have the boldness to preach the truth of God's Word anymore. They allow culture to dictate what the Word of God says. Let me tell you something. When you have the Holy Spirit, one of the things we noticed last week is that somebody that is filled with the Holy Spirit is able to speak the Word of God boldly in the face of cultural pressure, religious pressure, and even lies that are going on and trying to influence people in our generation. Let me tell you something. When you're filled with the Spirit, you're, you're not afraid. You don't back down to cultural pressure, but you have a hunger for God's Word and you say, this is what is truth to me and we're going to speak that truth boldly. The Spirit of God begins to move in our lives. And when we look at the book of Ephesians, which we've been in, 
The book of Ephesians actually explains our divine inheritance in Christ. In other words, Ephesians 1 all the way to 6 is essentially this is what Christ has done in your life and this is what you have access to as a result of what He did on the cross of Calvary, dying for you in your place. Now we know in Ephesians 5.18, this has kind of been our hallmark verse, right? It says, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. But here's what's very interesting because when Paul writes this in Ephesians 5.18, who is he writing this to? Is he writing this to non-Christians? Is he telling non-Christians to be filled with the Spirit or is he telling backslidden Christians to be filled with the Spirit? Well, he actually says who he's telling this because in Ephesians 1.1 he addresses them. And he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's saying, look, the ones that I'm writing this to, the ones that I'm telling you need to be filled with the Spirit are actually the saints. Now this word saints, actually it just means holy ones. It means those that are set apart by the blood of Jesus Christ. You, if you believe in Jesus, you are a saint of the Most High God. Amen. And then he says, but I'm not just writing to the saints. I'm writing to the ones that are faithful in Christ Jesus. They've, they've went through persecution. They've dealt with struggle and hardship, but yet they've not lost their faith in Jesus Christ yet. But he's telling them you need to be always being filled with the Holy Spirit. So this lets me know that you can be a faithful Christian and still not be full of the Holy Spirit. And so he's telling us this because we need to understand that there is a life in Christ that is far more than what we are experiencing right now. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe God wants more for me. I believe God wants more for you. I believe that corporately when we meet together, we can see God doing far mightier things than what we see him doing right now in our midst. So why would he give faithful Christians instructions to be filled with the Spirit, right? Unless it's possible for faithful Christians, like we said, to not be filled with the Spirit. Now before I get into that, I want, I want to give you the first point because we're going to go back to Ephesians 1 because Paul lays a little bit of groundwork. And number one, you need to understand that believers are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says in Ephesians 1 verse 13 through 14. He says, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory." So what he's saying is, is that when you first heard the gospel and you believed the gospel, he said you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the down payment of the fullness of our inheritance in Christ that is given to you. Now, here's what you've got to understand. Maybe you're new here. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you don't understand. But the basis of our faith is the fact that this is that God is holy. He's so perfect and so holy that, that really he's, he lives in unapproachable light, the scripture says. He's perfect and he's flawless, but yet we are broken people. I don't know about you, but I'm a broken man. And I've lived a life of sin and God brought me up out of it. But see, there was something growing up that I, that I began to understand is just how broken that I was. And whenever I came across the scripture, I realized that there was this, there was this gap that could not be recovered between me and a holy God that I had corruption I had brokenness I had addictions and nothing could save me but yet see God reveals to us that we have this we have this gap we have this difference between us and a holy God and it's actually what separates us from God is the sin that is in our lives this corruption has separated you and I from a holy God 
And so now that we're separated, here's what you have to understand. It's not that God doesn't want you to enjoy life and experience life, but He is the source of all life. God is the source of all goodness. He's the source of all truth. And when you are disconnected from Him, all of a sudden there's a discontentment. There's a a self-focus kind of life that we begin to live. We begin to become selfish and all of a sudden we're empty and we think we can fill up that emptiness with something else in our life, whether it be sex or drugs or alcohol, something to numb this sense of emptiness. But the truth is we're separated from the God who is the source of all life. And you say, but He's holy. How can we get close? Well, you need to understand that the holy God of the universe loved you so much that He sent His only Son to come and die in your place to make a way for you as a broken sinner to be reconciled to a holy God. the source of all life so that you could once again be filled with joy and peace and satisfaction and realize that this was the very reason that I was created and all of a sudden when you are when you believe that gospel message and you are restored to relationship with God guess what happens the Holy Spirit comes and he seals you and the Bible says this is a down payment of the inheritance that is to come in other words God is saying you know what I'm about to purchase that thing fully and I'm buying that and I bought it with the blood of Jesus and I'm going to give them a seal a token that lets them know that in the end I'm going to restore their entire body and all of creation and they will live eternally with me never to be separated again because when we talk about eternity we're talking about two different places essentially either you are united to God in fullness or you have rejected the salvation that God offers and you remain separated from God from eternity. The Bible calls that a lake of fire. And I know that's hard language for some people, but this is the reality. Does God want to send people to hell? Absolutely not. That's why He sent His Son. He sent His Son so that nobody would ever have to go to hell. But see, we have a decision to make when the Spirit of God draws us whether we will respond to this salvation and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit or we will reject that salvation and say, no, I think I'm better off without God. But see, when we believe... The Holy Spirit, the work of His Spirit in our lives all of a sudden begins to let us know that, you know what, there's a redemption that's coming. There's something that's coming. Jesus is coming to restore all things. We're not going to experience sickness or disease or death anymore, but there is a seal on our hearts. You know, the seal was actually like in in those days, back, back in those days, they would have written a letter and sent it to somebody and put wax on the letter and then sealed it and stamped it as if to say, this one's mine, this is from me, the contents of this is from me, this is mine. They would also put a seal or a sign on like cattle or something just to let it know that it was, my, that, that it was yours. And so in essence, what God is saying is he's putting his seal on you and saying, this is mine. I've purchased it. It's been bought with the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit indwells in you and lives in you. So you're sealed with the Holy Spirit at salvation. But then just a few verses later, Paul is actually praying for a greater dimension of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life already. Just a few verses later. He says in Ephesians 1, 15 and 17, it says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now let me tell you something. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, I know that sounds like fancy and it could just slip right over our heads. Like what in the world is he even talking about? But the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God is no different than the Holy Spirit. It's simply one of the ways that the Holy Spirit manifests Himself. 
Remember we read in Isaiah 11, it says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. These are aspects of the Holy Spirit in which he manifests himself to us. And Paul is praying, it's not enough that you got saved and the Holy Spirit now indwells you. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would give unto you wisdom so that you could know how to operate and live in life. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would come and pull the veil back up off your eyes so that you could fully know just what Jesus Christ has done. Because you know there are Christians that go to church every Sunday that have no idea the inheritance they have in Christ. They don't realize that they're a child of God. They don't realize that the Spirit of God dwells in them. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in them. That they have more power available to them than they could ever imagine. That they don't have to live in depression and darkness and be beat up all the time. That they can have a victorious life in Christ that transcends the hard circumstances of the world around them. And he's saying, I pray that God would give you wisdom by the Holy Spirit. But I'm also praying that he would pull the veil back off your eyes so that you could get a revelation of who he truly is in your life and the inheritance that you have. Because he goes on to pray that I, I wish they could understand what's the hope of their calling, what God's called them into, and the exceeding greatness of his power toward those who do believe. That you could understand that with Christ, you've been made to be seated in heavenly places above all powers and principalities. Every demon spirit, you are seated above it. Amen. And he's saying, I wish you could get this revelation. And so what you have is you have the sealing of the Spirit. And then he says he's praying for the Spirit to begin to work in your life so that you can understand your full inheritance. And then, of course, in 518, he says he wants you to be filled with the Spirit. So God, he's instructing us to be filled with the Spirit. And here's why. Everything that Jesus paid for us on the cross, He paid for our salvation, for our redemption, for our healing, for our deliverance, for us to be empowered to minister to others by the Spirit. Everything that Jesus Christ paid for you on the cross is given to us through and by the Holy Spirit. So there are things that Jesus paid for that you've not even received yet in fullness. It's in you in seed form, but the Holy Spirit wants to manifest it in your life. Amen. So he's saying, don't just be sealed, don't just know about it, but I need you to come into a place where you're filled with the Spirit so that you can be filled with all of the fullness of God. And I believe this with all of my heart. I'm just like everybody else in this room. There are times when I get down, when I get depressed, when I have struggles, when I'm tempted, when I'm angry, when I'm frustrated. But when I go back to God and I ask for a fresh and filling of the Holy Spirit, my mindset changes. I feel things lift up off of me. I begin to see the heaviness and the depression begin to lift and joy comes into my life peace is restored and I know that there are people under the sound of my voice this morning that you're dealing with just that you're dealing with depression you're frustrated you're angry you're dealing with all of these things and sometimes it seems too good to be true to for to hear a preacher say well no that depression you don't have to deal with that because you got their spirit-filled life and stuff like that amen right and and a lot of times you just hear that at face value and you think man that's that's not true that's not what I'm dealing with that's not my story but I'm telling you there is a relationship with God when we grow I'm not saying that it comes instantaneously and I'm not saying that you ain't got to put some work in but I am telling you this that God has given us an inheritance where we can live in freedom from sin and we can have joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. We can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. Doesn't mean everything's going to go right in your life. There are going to be times when things are going to go bad, when things are going to go wrong. But guess what? I'm talking about a transcendent peace that goes beyond what's happening in your life currently. 
so that you don't have to turn to drugs. You don't have to turn to alcohol to cope because you have the Holy Spirit that you are drinking from and He is giving you a peace and letting you know it's going to be okay because He's called the Comforter. And He comes to minister to you in those situations. It's transcended the work that He wants to do in your, our lives. But see, somebody asked the question this week. They said, how do you get closer to the Holy Spirit? And I responded, well, how do you get closer to someone you love? You, put, you know, if Andre and I, like, can you make, because a lot of y'all are the same way, like if in your marriages and stuff, you go home at the end of the day and you've had a rough day, so you just turn on the tube or whatever, and y'all may not say anything to each other. You know what I mean? Well, you can't just sit there and say, well, we're close, we're intimate. No, y'all just sit in the same room together. Amen, right? So if y'all want to grow closer to someone that I love, I intentionally set time aside to listen to what they have to say, to focus on them, to hear their heart. And if I'm going to grow closer to the Holy Spirit, He is a person the same way that your wife or your spouse is. You have to intentionally set time aside to listen to their heart, to hear what they have to say, and to love them in return. Amen. And so if we're growing closer to the Holy Spirit, we need to experience this because the Holy Spirit is a person and He has a personality and actually He can even be grieved. The Holy Spirit has feelings. He's a little bit sensitive sometimes. I shouldn't actually say that because He's not sensitive in the way that you and I are. Like You know people that just get upset at the drop of a hat over anything? Well, they didn't wave at me this morning. The Holy Spirit is not like that. He's not that kind of sensitive, but Paul talks about in Ephesians 4 something very specific, and this is point two. He says to do not grieve the Holy Spirit who seals you. He says the Holy Spirit has sealed you. This isn't a question of salvation any longer. You're saved, and the Holy Spirit now indwells you, but you can actually live and do things in your life that will grieve the Holy Spirit. See, here's the thing. Me and Andrea, we got married some years back, right? We're coming up on our seventh anniversary. And we've been married for a little bit, little bit. But see, every time I mess up, that doesn't annul the marriage, does it? we still married. You got saved just because you do something a little bit out of whack doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. But it does mean that you could have affected the fellowship that you have with God and the Holy Spirit. Because see, my relationship with Andrea hasn't changed on a foundational le level. She's my wife. We are married. But sometimes I say some hurtful things. Amen. And what happens is, is there is a little bit of grief in the relationship. Now, you, I, you could ask, here's what he says. Let's read it. Ephesians 4. He says, verse 29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Now, nobody said, well, what's a corrupt word? Because I'm trying to cuss as much as I can and get away with it, right? Uh, the word... I know how people think, y'all. <clears throat> he says, no, let no corrupt. The word there, if you actually break it down in definitions of the Greek, is foul, rotten, worthless, or inappropriate language. He says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And notice what he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So why does Paul use the word grieve here? Why doesn't he say don't make the Holy Spirit mad? You know what I'm saying? Because sometimes I make Andrea mad. But here's what you got to understand. is It's not just that the Holy Spirit's mad. If I don't like somebody and they hurt me, I'm just mad at them. 
But if I love somebody and they hurt me, my heart is grieved. You understand the difference? And so when I heard Andre, it's not just that she's mad at me. She's grieved that I would even do something like that. And the Holy Spirit loves you more than you could ever imagine. His desire is to walk in communion with you. His desire is to speak to you. His desire is to reveal Jesus to you on a daily basis. His desire is to have such communion with you that you are empowered as you walk about your daily life, that you could receive the joy of the Spirit and the peace of the Spirit and the strength that comes from walking with Him in a relationship. But see, sometimes we grieve the Holy Spirit with our sin and with our neglect in our relationship with Him. And you know, there's different things that, that are said. He, he talks about lying in that chapter and anger and stealing. He talks about sexual immorality and he talks about covetousness. But just right around that verse is what I want to focus on. And he lists a few things. And here's what I want to give you. We grieve the Holy Spirit first with our speech, with what we say. Let me give it to you in a different translation here. In the Passion Translation, it says in Ephesians 4.29, And never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth. But instead, let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help them. Lay aside bitter words, temper tantrums, revenge, profanity, and insults. Anybody have a temper tantrum this week? Anybody want to admit to it? No. Everybody's good. We're good. We didn't do none of that. But our speech, listen, with your mouth, you have the ability to bless or curse somebody. The Bible says that in your life, in, the, in, in your mouth is the power of life and the power of death. And those that love it will eat its fruits. In other words, a lot of what's going on in your life, whether you believe it or not, is because of the words that come out of your mouth. Whether they're positive, whether they're negative, whether they're blessing, whether they're cursing, what is coming out of your mouth, you are eating the fruits of what you are speaking out of your mouth. And he says specifically, the way that you talk to people, the tone of your voice, the attitude that's in your heart, the way that you speak to people, the things you say about people, whether to them or behind their back, actually has the potential to grieve the Holy Spirit in your life. Amen. How many of you, you know, there, I, I really believe this. You get caught up because pe it's so uh, cancerous, isn't it? Just the way that people talk. Because people will go to, to a workplace or be in a, in, in a specific setting. And there are some groups of people that are just so overwhelming in their negativity that you don't even mean to get caught up in it. And all of a sudden you, you find yourself gossiping and speaking negatively when you know you don't want to do that, but it just happens. And I'm telling you right now, there are so many people who limit what God can do in their life because they refuse to quit gossiping. Amen, Clay. That's good. I appreciate that this morning. It's a good word. How many people you've ever made a post or you sent somebody a message or maybe you said something? I got to be honest with you. I've, said I've been in groups of people. And as a pastor, you got to be even a little bit more careful. But I'm pretty, I'm pretty free most of the time. I don't get hung up. The way I am, I tell people, the way I am behind this pulpit is usually the way I am with you. I'm, I'm no different. But at the same time, there are times when I say things that I literally leave a place and say, Lord, please just erase that. As if, as if I never said that. Because I don't want that to take root in anybody's hearts. And Holy Spirit, if I need to. If I need to, I will tell me and I'll go back and I will apologize and I will make it right. And there has been times that I, as a pastor, have, have had to say to new, new born again Christians, say, listen, I should not have said that. I'm sorry. That doesn't represent Christ and, and that shouldn't have come out of my And I'm not talking about awful things. I'm just talking about things that grieve the Holy Spirit. 
It's not like I went and cussed somebody out. I'm just talking about a little bit of negativity can grieve the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I get into a negative spot. My, my speech becomes negative, And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is grieved. And He begins to I, I sense a distance in my life. And all of a sudden, maybe the, the power of God is stifled in my life to a degree. But the second thing that He mentions is bitterness. B is bitterness. And you, you ever been around somebody that's just, just like they're just on edge all the time? and just so like... Anybody ever been around one of them? Just like at all time. And, I, and you're, you're wondering, man, how, how did you, did you just wake up like this? It's 8 a.m. Like, did somebody do something to you at 7? What, what but they're living in a constant state of bitterness. And he says, this bitterness, this bitter heart, it grieves the Holy Spirit. I was talking to, we talk sometimes to people that are in leadership and stuff here. And what we say in this church is, honestly, we want to create such a culture that if a, if a bitter person comes in here, they're either confronted to get set free and forgive people or they can't hang out in here. Because the culture is so healthy where there's no toxic, negative talk toward one another and no bitterness that we say, we ain't allow that to spread. So if you come to me with gossip, I'm going to say, hey, leave that right there. We ain't trying to grieve the Holy Spirit. We're going to bless that person. We're going to pray for that person. They may be aggravating you, but man, all the more reason to bless them and pray for them. Because they need help from the Lord and we can't allow that stuff to spread. Amen. Amen. It's a good word. Because in the church, nothing spreads like bitterness. And you know those people, they're just looking for somebody else. Did you hear what pastor did? Did you, did you hear what so-and-so did? They're clicky. I mean, like, like you, we can go on for days, and all of that stuff is really bitterness at its root. And I get it. I understand that people are difficult and harsh, but I'm not saying this to hurt you because you've said that. I'm saying this because that is infecting your heart with something that is going to grieve the Holy Spirit and, and stifle your walk with God. And you can't allow that bitterness to take root in your heart. See, he says that anger. He lists, he lists wrath, anger, clamor, shouting, temper tantrums, and malice. I told you all the joke one time. It's really not a joke. It was a true story. I think I've told that. But it was like the first time. I shouted at Andre at one time, y'all. It was years ago, though, because we had just started dating. Like, it probably almost got rid of the relationship. But we were driving down the road and we had ham sandwiches in a cooler. And we were arguing whether or not we eat the ham sandwiches or whether we pull over somewhere and eat. And it, and it was just going back and forth. And then all of a sudden, I said, just give me the sandwich. <laughs> and I shouted at her. And then I sat for like five seconds. And I was like, what the heck did I just do? And I looked at her and she looked at me and we just start burst out laughing. We're sitting here fighting over ham sandwiches. But y'all do that too. Some of y'all, you've been in here fighting over ham sandwiches this morning, ain't you? I get it. I understand. But see, that, that anger, you let that stuff take root, man. It can poison relationships. Ask yourself, why are you so angry? Why are you yelling all the time? Why you got a ba bad attitude? And see, that's the last thing. D is just simply attitude. You can grieve the Holy Spirit simply by your attitude. You just walk around all the time sour. And I get it. I've been there. I understand that. But you have to keep these things in check. And I, I, as you grow closer to the Lord, this is the good thing about the Holy Spirit is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I tell you about the time, you know, when me and Andrea first got married, I got a pretty decent relationship with the Holy Spirit. I pray. I seek the Lord. And there are times that when me, me and Andrea first got married, I remember the first thing 
in our marriage that the Holy Spirit really deeply dealt with me about. One time we got in a little bit of an argument and she went to bed, right? Because in the same chapter it says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And, and we got in a little bit of, of an argument and I just sort of clammed up and didn't say anything and she went to bed and I'm sitting in there on the couch being like, yeah, I ain't going to talk to you. And as soon, I'm sitting there probably watching Duke get beat or something. I don't know. I can't remember what it was. But I'm sitting there, and, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just impresses me, speaks to me so loudly. He says, son, do not allow the sun to go down on your anger. You go back in there, and you apologize now. You make it right with your wife, and you never allow yourselves to be angry at one another before you go to sleep. And he said that to me into my spirit. And so we've had to do that several times. Anybody amen me? This is marriage counseling this morning. You, we've had to learn to do that several times in our marriage so that when we get angry, we deal with it before we go to bed and we start to realize these things that we're upset about, they really ain't that big of a deal. We just need to humble ourselves, submit ourselves to one another, and learn to love one another and check our attitude. We can't carry around a negative attitude because we are going to grieve the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing, the Holy Spirit will never leave your life if you're a Christian. But He will shrink back His power and you will begin to sense a distance in His presence at times. Positionally, you maintain right standing with God. You don't lose your salvation, but you break your fellowship with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Charles Spurgeon, he said it like this. He said, when the Holy Spirit is grieved, he says, I will suspend my operations. I will be gone. I will not leave life behind me, but my own actual presence I will take away. And when the Spirit of God goes away from the soul and suspends all operations, what a miserable state we are in. He suspends His instructions. We read the Word, but we cannot understand it. We read commentaries, but they cannot tell us meaning. We fall on our knees and ask to be taught by God, but we get no answer. We learn nothing. Once we could do all things, now we can do nothing. There is the intention to do good, but alas, there is no power to accomplish the intention. The Lord has withdrawn Himself. His light, His joy, His comfort, His spiritual power, all are gone. And I'm going to be honest with you, I think some people have gotten to a place, and I felt this in my spirit, but I, I, I feel like some people have gotten to a place where they live in a perpetual grieving of the Holy Spirit because they have refused to repent of certain things that the Holy Spirit has put His finger on. And they're wondering why they don't sense the presence of God, and the Holy Spirit is saying, I want that presence back, but I'm grieved. I'm hurting because you've chosen something over your relationship with me. You've allowed this thing to come into your life and see, when, I'm telling you, when we, when we plan in our minds to do evil, have you ever thought a thought and the Holy Spirit check you? I've thought thoughts and the Holy Spirit say, Clay, what's that? And he said, you need to take that captive. Ain't you read the Bible, 2 Corinthians 10? He bring it to me. When you think thoughts in your mind, the Holy Spirit's there. And he's, it's not that the Holy Spirit is a jerk because when He comes, if you grieve Him, He always convicts you because He loves you. Not because He's aggravated with you or hates you or is mad at you, but because He wants what is best for your life. And oftentimes people who correct you in love, they just simply want what is best for your life, but your pride will not allow you to receive the correction. And pride will grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes when we have an opportunity to share Jesus and we shrink back, we talk about the gifts of the Spirit. We talked about it Wednesday. You know, you can quench the Holy Spirit... And we often do. 
And when we come to the Lord, we say, we forgive you, Lord. We didn't want to quench you. You were moving me to do something and I didn't respond. Lord, I'm asking you to, to, to restore that to me. And He will. But see, when you quench the Holy Spirit over and over and over again, do you think He's going to continue to come upon you to use you? Now, there's a point where He says, you know what? They don't want me. They don't ask for me. They don't pray about it. And sometimes when you ask and you're saying, Lord, we talk about evangelizing, for example. First of all, do we even pray, Lord, help me to win one person to Jesus? One, we got to start there. But two, when he moves upon us to speak to somebody about Jesus, are we ashamed? Or are we bold enough to say, all right, Holy Spirit, I'm going with you? And I think when we're not walking with him like that, it begins to grieve him a little bit. And we fail to, to, to spend time with him, it grieves him. Same way it does with your wife, right? You fail to spend time with her, it's going to grieve her. She's going to be wondering, why is he not wanting to spend time with me? Same way with the Holy Spirit, he's a person. When we don't give God thanks for the amazing things that he does in our lives, right? God's doing some amazing things and we need to do that. But see, when you don't feel his presence and you feel that distance, confession is the doorway to restoration. Because it's the same way with your spouse, right? If you do something wrong, you could easily say, well, God forgives me. I don't, I don't need to say anything to him. Try doing that with your wife. I know she forgives me. I ain't saying nothing. That wouldn't work out well. But when you go to her and you say, I did this, I'm sorry, it was wrong, what happens? Fellowship is restored. And it's the same way with your relationship with God and the Holy Spirit. And so we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. When you grieve Him, notice this, God's love towards you never changes. You, as the song says, it's real popular right now, you'll never be more loved than you are right now in this moment. He loves you unconditionally regardless of what you do. But there are things in our lives that we allow that it grieves His presence and His Spirit. And all of a sudden we sense that distance. There's nothing that will change His love toward you. But there are some things that will change His availability, His power, and His presence in your life. And we want to see the power of the Spirit in His fullness. So lastly, number three, we don't grieve the Spirit but rather, number three, we are to be filled with the Spirit. And I know I've mentioned this a lot, but I'm going to break it down once again. In Ephesians 5, here's what Paul says. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly. Or basically, pay attention to how you walk. I was on a boat for a couple of days, and this morning I've been doing this. I thought about getting up, and I said, if I stumble, I'm going to say, now, I'm not drunk as you all suppose. That's what they said in Acts 2. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Amen. Some, some of you... <laughs> Some of you insiders will get that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Acts chapter 2, right? I, but, but you have to pay attention to how you walk. He says, walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. See, I don't know if you realize this, but we live in some evil days, don't we? We were talking just the other day about how right now it's just, it's just the most absurd thing to mention Jesus in schools, but yet we say nothing when our children listen to music over and over that talks about the most ungodly things you have ever dreamed of. Songs that talk about women doing degrading things to themselves only glorify sex, drugs, and alcohol. I heard a song the other day that I didn't want to hear, thank God that I... To, could turn it off in time, but all the dude was talking about was all the drugs that he was doing, and I know those drugs, son, and they will kill you. And it's just like kids just celebrating and dancing, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> doing that, somebody amen me this morning. We're okay with that, but God forbid somebody talk about Jesus in the schools. And I'm not trying to be that dude, I'm not angry about it, I'm just saying, these are evil days. 
They're evil days that we're living in. We got people that are, that are sick and broken and people are addicted. And, 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 and I mean, people are just throwing the Word of God out the window and saying, we're just going to let culture define this for us. The Word of God's outdated. We're just going to throw that out. The days are evil. And we see these things. But it says that fools waste time. He says, if the days are this evil, you need to pay careful attention to how you're walking and how you're living and make most of the time. And listen, we are to enjoy our lives. I, I believe that. Summertime, man we have fun we enjoy ourselves we enjoy our lives because i believe that enjoyment of life is part of one of our aspect an aspect of worship to god when you have fun with your family and when you have fun as a church family enjoying life is a, is a good thing it's a holy thing but at the same time we are to be aware of the world that we're living in and the lost people that are around us and in verse 17 it says therefore do not be unwise but understand what the will of the lord is and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit. So Paul gives seven do's and he gives and, he, and, and don'ts in the Christian life. He says, do pay attention to how you walk. Do not be foolish. Do make best use of the time. Do not be unwise. Do understand the will of the Lord. Do not get drunk. And then the seventh one in that order is do be filled with the Spirit. This is seventh and central in that list. And notice what he says. He says, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. Do you know that two times in Scripture, being filled with the Spirit is connected with getting drunk? This is why sometimes if you go to a church, they'll say, well, I got drunk in the Spirit. You ever heard people say that? And they're just, they're just loose and wild. Ooh, hey. I think that's probably not the reason they use that language specifically. But see, when I first read this, it made sense to me because I used to be a drunk. And when you get, you get wild all night, you would do things because you were what? Under the influence of an outside force. And you would do things, but guess what? In the morning, it would wear off. And when you're filled with the Spirit, He will influence you to do things that you would not otherwise do. And then all of a sudden, though, what you need to understand is that that infilling could possibly wear off and you need to be refilled. You need to drink once again, but don't drink wine. Drink the Holy Spirit. This is what he's saying. And I got to be honest with you, I used to love drinking more than anybody, really. But when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I lost my desire for it. I lost my desire to be drunk anymore. Why? Because I was filled with what I was looking for alcohol to do. I was looking for drugs and alcohol to bring me some kind of peace, some kind of pleasure, some kind of enjoyment. But when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I said, this is what I've been looking for in the bottle all my life. Amen. And so we're not drunk with wine in which is dissipation where we lose control, but we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we talked about how being filled with the Spirit is present, passive, imperative. So it could read, be always being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's ongoing continually, but guess what? It's somebody else doing it to you. And when you think about that, it's crazy because I thought about, like, how does this play out? Like, if I was to say a regular sentence to somebody, like, what if I said, hey, be called by your mom? You'd be like, what in the world are you talking about? Do you mean tell my mom to call me or me to call my mom? How am I supposed to be called by my mom? That's really how, that's how it's worded there. How does that happen? How am I supposed to be filled with the Spirit when He's the one who fills me? 
And then you get in this argument because in different churches they'll say, well, is this a habit or is this an experience? And we've talked about this because if you come from a Baptist background, it's a habit, right? It's, it's you need to just be, you need to read the Bible more, you need to pray more, you need to develop these habits, and that essentially is being filled with the Spirit. The more Bible you got in you, the more you're filled with the Spirit. But then on the other end of the spectrum, if you're Pentecostal, come from a Pentecostal background, being filled with the Spirit is very much an experience, isn't it? It's something that happens to you, something that comes upon you. And so what I want to argue is that being filled with the Spirit is both a habit and an experience. These two things are happening at once. And when we think about being filled with the Spirit, we think about liquid, right? We think about filling a cup up. But when you read, and we talked about this twice, in the Greek and the Hebrew language, the word Spirit is ruach and pneuma. What does it mean? It means wind or breath. And being filled with the Spirit, I got this image this week. Because I was on a boat, and we talked about a sailboat at one point. How is a sailboat driven? It's driven by wind, isn't it? But if I went and I got on a sailboat in light wind, do you think I would go anywhere? No. Why? Because I don't have the practices in my life to learn how to catch the wind. And so you may have a guy over here who's a professional sailboat dude. And he knows how to catch the wind. He has practiced. He's learned how to turn the, the stuff and do everything right so that when, when, the, when the wind's blowing a certain way, he can catch it. He'll be going 30 miles an hour up the lake. But then me, I don't know how to catch it because I don't have the practices in my life. But see, he has the practices so that when the wind blows, he can catch it. And now it's not just a habit, but it's also an experience. He's moving. You see that? In other words, to be filled with the Spirit, you need to have the practices in your life to where you are attentively responding to an experience. That means that I stay in the Bible, I stay in prayer, I meditate on God's Word, and I'm open for divine moments when God would use me. And all of a sudden, a moment comes when I feel the wind. But because I have learned to be attentive to the Holy Spirit, I can respond and I can catch that wind and allow the Holy Spirit to move me, to use me, and to fill me once again afresh. And this is an ongoing interaction with the Holy Spirit where you are always being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now here's my last thing and I'm done. See, because he says, don't be drunk with wine and which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And in verse 19, he actually gives you four things that you can do in order to experience and make yourself more receptive to the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says. He says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So this is why in the church, honestly, this is why we sing. And here's what I personally believe. Somebody say, well, you know, I don't really sing unless I move to sing. What he's saying here is there are times when the Holy Spirit will move you to sing. And there are times when you need to sing so that the Holy Spirit will move. It works both ways. And he's basically saying, be filled with the Spirit. How? By singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Speaking to one another in psalms and spiritual songs. That's why when we come in here and we sing on Sunday morning, if you put your heart in it and you worship, we could every last one of us be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, begin to sing unto the Lord. Make melody in your heart to the Lord. But then he moves on and he says, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father. It's hard to not be filled with the Holy Spirit when you're giving thanks rather than be complaining over all the bad things that are going on. 
And some people, they grieve the Holy Spirit because they would rather complain than give thanks to God for what He has done in their life. And then lastly, it says submitting to one another in the fear of God. And so when we are in right relationship with God, we are in right relationship with one another. Amen? And we submit to one another in love. We're willing to yield to one another. There's an attentive responsiveness to God and the Spirit. And there's also an attentive responsiveness to each other, to one another around us, so that we love one another. And we don't, we're, we're not angry at them. We're not bitter. We're not shouting. We're not clamoring. We're, all of those things are gone. We've set those things aside. But instead, we have chosen to be tenderhearted to one another, to forgive one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. Right? This is what he's talking to us about. He's saying you need to begin to forgive one another and love one another. And here's what I believe. I believe that God is looking for some folks that want to be fully immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit. They say, Lord, I, I want this. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit for a while now, and I want whatever you have to offer. And I've asked you, I've asked you even to pray and fast during the week to pick a day or to pick two days to pray and to fast and say, God, just fill us with your Holy Spirit. We want to take all the chains, all the restrictions off and just say, God, we're not putting you in a box any longer. Whatever you want to do in my life, that's what I want to experience. And God is looking to fill people to say, I want to use you. And if you're willing and you're willing to yield, I believe that God will do just that. Amen. So won't you just bow your heads where you're at right now. First things first, I always want to give people an opportunity because if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, you can be sealed with the Holy Spirit. And what that means is that you're no longer separated from God, but you are united to God. That means that when you die, when you leave this life, you will be with God eternally instead of separated from Him in eternity in a place called the lake of fire. And He loves you so much that He says, you know what, I want you to be united to me. I sent my Son to die for you on the cross so that you could have forgiveness of sins. And if you don't know that, with an assurance in your heart, and you say, I want to have eternal life and know that I'm saved, would you raise your hand right now? Just let me see you so that we can pray for you. Anybody in here? Anybody in here? Amen. For the rest of us, here's what I want us to do. I want us to see if there's anything that would be grieving the Holy Spirit. Just say, Holy Spirit, show anything in my life, anything where I'm grieving you, anything that's keeping me from you. Lord, I want to confess that to you because I want to be filled with your spirit and I want to be filled with all of the fullness of God. And now just let him minister to you there for a minute. You can confess that to God. You can bring that to God and he can heal that. He can remove that. He can restore joy to your life. He can restore peace to your life. And Holy Spirit, that's what we want right now. We're just asking you to move in our hearts, move in our minds, Holy Spirit. Be poured out in our lives, God, in a new and a fresh way. And we ask it, God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to worship together. And here's the thing that I keep saying, and I think I'm going to keep saying it for a while until we begin to get it. But public response to God initiates the activity of God. I don't know why. I just know that it does. When you are unashamed and you're willing to lift your hands to the Lord or, or you're willing to come to an altar to pray or you're willing to say, I need help, would you pray for me? There's something that activates and initiates the activity of God and the power of God and the presence of God. So what I want to do, I want to leave it open. 
You can respond at your seat. You can come to this altar and pray if you need prayer.